0: We're, um, we're at week five, the last week in a series that we've been doing called Doors, <clears throat> and it's, it's flown by for me, and um, the whole conversation of this series has been about these doors, and doors are the most common mechanical instrument we operate on a daily basis. They're portals and gateways from one environment to another. They take us from one place to another place physically, but we've been talking about the spiritual and the the relational and the emotional, the inner doors in our life as we walk out our path. As we walk out this journey of faith in our life, we come to doors. And there are decisions, opportunities, and invites that come our way. And we have to decide which doors are we going to go through, which doors will we open, which doors will we leave closed, and which doors are going to vie for our attention. But in all reality, our, our purpose is not behind that door. We've been talking all about this for, for five weeks now. We talked about starting up the idea of the fact, of first week of the fact that we're here on purpose. That there's a reason why we're alive. There's a reason why we're on planet earth. We continued by talking about the fact that if we, we get in God's ways, that we will walk in his will. In the third week, I tried to persuade you, plead with you to not be distracted by lesser dreams. Last week, we talked about the fact that our movement is part of his plan. And today I want to wrap up by, by talking about something that has to be said as we're, as we're talking about um, the idea of our life and the idea of this journey that we're on um, in relationship and in connection with God. Um, and I have to warn you, um, the, the message is kind of tough. If, if you're a pre-Christian who's here and you say, listen, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I give you a fair game to say I don't really believe what you're saying. Uh, If you're a new Christian, somebody who just started a relationship with Jesus, this might be hard to swallow. It happened when Jesus talked about this subject. And I give you license to come back and say, I don't know if I agree with everything like that, but I'm going to keep coming. My encouragement to you is even when you experience something in God's Word that someone says, and it challenges you deeply that you don't run from it, that you sit and you come back to it and you give it time. A lot of times, the best changes that happen in our life, initially, the very first time we hear it, it sounds crazy, and sometimes it even kind of like, it chafes. And we're like, I don't really believe that. And then we give it time. So I encourage you, if you listen to this message and you're like, I don't know, Cameron, you just want to walk out, I encourage you to come back and continue to, to search this out. As we've been talking about this series... We're talking about our future, and, and hopefully, as we've been doing it, everyone's eyes have kind of been refocusing. I think this series has a tendency to to take our eyes off of the here and now, presently, and kind of cast our eyes down the road of our lives towards the end of, of our calling, towards our future. And I remember the same type of thing happening to me when I, when I kind of developed what I would call my adult faith. I went to school, um, went, to, went to church, excuse me, when I was a kid in school with my mom, and I... I learn the foundational stuff, but then a time came when I was in high school where I decided for myself that I really did believe this. And after that then, I began to work out what this meant for my life, and I began asking questions about like, how does Jesus fit into this? Like, How does Jesus fit into um, what I want to do with my life? And how does Jesus fit into um, what 's next, and how does Jesus fit into these plans and that 's probably what a lot of you guys have been experiencing we 're talking about doors and i 'm casting your attention down the the goal of your life down towards your purpose and we 're talking about all these different doors to distraction and doors to failure in our life and and you have this tendency to look down and probably a lot of us have begun to think, so then, where does Jesus fit in to my life? Where does Jesus fit into Um, my work schedule? Where does Jesus fit into my family life? Where does Jesus fit into my dreams? Where does Jesus fit into my plans? Where does Jesus fit into all of this? And people have been thinking about this forever. You're not um, out of the ordinary. You're right in the ordinary. When Jesus was actually here on earth, this is what people were doing. They were following him and they were listening to him and they were seeing him do miracles and they were trying to figure out where does Jesus fit into my life. One time Jesus was talking to a bunch of his disciples and and a whole group of people. They went to a a village called Caesarea Philippi. And as he was teaching them, he was talking about who people were saying that he was and, and the disciples were just starting to realize the fact that he was actually the son of God. And he was talking about the fact that soon enough he would go and he would die on a cross, which, of course, we know is true that Jesus did. He went and he died on a cross. Jesus knew this foreknowledge from the Holy Spirit. And as he's speaking this, Peter actually rebukes him and says, you know, Jesus, don't say that stuff. And he says, get behind me, Satan, because he knew that this was God's plan, even though it sounded really harsh. It was actually God's plan for his life. And he turns to the crowd and he says this statement, and I want to read it for you, and it's moderately caustic. Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, in Mark 8, starting in verse 34, then calling to the crowd to join his disciples. This is Jesus' call for people to join his disciples. Join my crowd. Let's listen to what his sales pitch is. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Is anything more excuse me, is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone's ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus turns to these people who are starting to get glimpses of, of him, starting to think maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the one, and they're starting to think, where does Jesus fit into my life? Where does Jesus fit into my life? And he says, if you want to be my follower, you want me to be a part of you, you need to deny your life. You need to forget your selfish ways, and you need to forget living a life that's all about you. And he says, you know, I was just talking about how I was going to go to the cross. He says, if you want to follow me, he says, you need to pick up your own cross in understanding of the fact that your life is only a certain number of days. And to walk with me towards the end of it, willing to face persecution, willing to face death. And he says, if you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you let go of it and you give it to me, you'll save it. All of us are wondering and all of us are looking and asking, where does Jesus fit into my life? Where does Jesus fit into my plans? Where does Jesus fit into my days? And the answer is he doesn't. Jesus doesn't fit into our lives. What Jesus said when he called these people, he says, I'm not, I'm not a perfume that you can spray on to cover up the stink of your life. He says, I'm not, a, I'm not a little bit of salt you can sprinkle on to add flavor. He says, I don't get added into your life. You don't get to keep everything about who you are and then just say, plus I want a little bit of Jesus with that. He says, no, that's not how it works. I don't fit into your plans. I don't fit into your life. He says, if you want to be one of my followers, actually what you have to do is you have to say, I let go of my life. I forsake my life and take up Christ's cross and I walk with him. You see, there's an epidemic in the church and especially in the American church to make the subject of our faith us. We talk time and time again about how Jesus will make your marriage better, how Jesus will make your finances better, how Jesus will make your job better, how Jesus will make your life better. And you notice the entire time the subject of those sentences was us. The problem is the subject of our faith is not us. The subject of our faith is Christ. Christ is not applied to us. The Bible says that if we want to follow him, we forsake our life and we apply ourselves to him. And it is radically, radically different. The gospel, the story of a saving God who came and died for his people is not a story of how great his people are. It's a story of how great a God is. All of it, from beginning to end, from the very beginning of the Bible, To the very end of the Bible, all of it, our lives, from beginning to end, are a means to gain God glory. And what he says is, he says, You forsake your life, you take up my cross, and you follow me. It is a radical change of pace, and this is what the main point is. If we actually want to walk with the Lord, and we actually want to say, what does this look like? It is taking on the mantle of saying, my life is for his glory. My life, its purpose is actually for his glory. Glory is a great word. It means praise and honor, fame and reverence, attention and awesomeness. And it's taking on us and saying that then when when I, I meet this amazing Savior Jesus and He's changed my life, my life is no longer about me, it's actually about Him, it's about His glory. That everything in my life and everything I do is a means by which to gain Him glory, more fame, more awesomeness, more attention, more understanding, more love from those in this world. Everything in this world, everything. Even you and I was created to bring God glory. Isaiah 43, 6-7, the prophet was writing a word from the Lord talking about the beginning of time. And here's what he says. He says, I'll say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God. And he says this about their beginning, for I have made them, I created them for my glory. It was I who created them. God says, I didn't create them for their glory. I actually created those people for my glory. I made them and created humanity as a means to bring me glory, as a picture of my awesomeness, as a picture of how great I am. David understood this, the great King David, the guy who who slain the giant. When he wrote in Psalm, he wrote in Psalm 2511, For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. David understood that even in a time when he called out to God and he asked God, forgive me because I know I have a lot wrong with me, he did not approach God from the sense of, God, forgive me for my glory. He says, even your forgiveness for me is a, is a, a merit of your glory. Your forgiveness to a sinful people is a merit to how loving you are. It brings glory to you, and that's the point. Paul, when writing to the Ephesians, Spelled this out clearly as well in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, saying, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Paul alludes to the fact that even our salvation, not just our creation, not just our lives, but even our salvation, us meeting Jesus, the reason for that is so that we can bring more glory to God. Our salvation is the beginning point of us living a life that brings more glory to his people. Listen, God God uses us. He uses our salvation and our life as a means to spread his own glory to the rest of the world. That's the point. The purpose of our of our life and our salvation is not our own glory but it's his glory. And what can happen is is when we start to realize this we can think, "Wow, God sounds really selfish." And God sounds really selfish. So this is all about him. My life is all about him. The life I live, the salvation that I found is all about him. Yes. He is God. And if he was to honor and worship anything other than himself, he would no longer be God. He is the one thing that deserves all praise, the one true center of all truth and love and goodness and grace. And when he points to himself, he points to the very center of that. He can't give his honor to someone else because that would be praising something else. It would remove him from being God. He's saying, yes, the whole point of all of this is to draw praise back to myself. The only One that a perfect and holy God can worship is Himself. And us, and the love He extends to us, and the relationship He imparts with us, is a means by which we direct the eyes of this world back to a God and say, Look at how much glory this God has. Look at how pure and perfect and holy this God is. And our lives are a means by which we can do this. My life is for His glory. So when we see Jesus, it changes our lives. When we meet Jesus and we start a relationship, we no longer live the same way. It, it shifts us radically. We get this eye down the road, and we've had people, um, six people in our services here, give their life to Jesus during the series. And our lives begin to change, and our mindset begins to change, and, and this world begins to change as well. Paul wrote about this when he wrote to the church in Philippi. They are talking all about all these people who had these, these big long lists of all the prideful things they had, the amount of character they had, the, the glorious position that they held. And Paul says this in Philippians 3, starting in verse 5. He begins by setting up the fact that he has the right to be proud in every sense of the word in relationship to religion. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old and I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now stop there for a second. The law of the Pharisees was far harder than any other law that was there and Paul says, I did all of it. If there's anybody that has a character they can be proud of, if there's anybody who can have a foundation to stand on and be proud and say, look at me, I came from the right family, man, I did the right things, I lived the right life, I was passionate about the right things, Paul could certainly be it. And this is what he says, starting in verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yeah, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself demands depends, excuse me, on faith. I want to know Christ. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul had, I mean, the character of somebody who could truly look at themselves and say, I had it figured out. Not just in this world, but I mean, because cause it was in, in his society there, he would have been looked up to so much. People would have esteemed him and said, man, Paul, he really has this figured out. He would have been a leader and he would have been somebody people would look up to him and he really had it figured out. And he says, man, since I've met Jesus, everything about me in my past, he says, I just consider it garbage compared to knowing him. Man, when we meet Jesus, it it changes our views so much and we realize after we meet him and we see a glimpse of a glorious and perfect God that there is nothing good inside of us. And as we experience salvation, it doesn't point to us and say, what a glorious person I must be. But we look at heaven and we are astounded by a glorious God that says, man, you can reach past all of that sin and still love me. It changes us. My life, my life is for his glory. That's what Paul was saying. He says, my life is no longer about living to prop up my own character, no longer about living out a life so that people would remember Paul's name, no longer about living to accumulate more things or to accumulate more status. He said, my life now, everything that I had there, I just consider it refuse and garbage compared to just knowing Christ. He says, because my life now is about bringing him glory. I know what people would say, Cameron. This seems rather radical. Seems like way too much. Seems kind of crazy. I agree, you're right. This is crazy talk. I mean, something... Something really miraculous would have to happen for this to be true, right? I mean, something like... Like impossibly miraculous. Like the fact that... Maybe, like all of us, we're destined to spend billions upon billions of years in eternal torment and hell. Because we were separated from God. And then, almost like God, who w- was so loving, instead of telling us to figure out, he, he came to this earth and he sacrificially died to, to pay for that sin. And he said, instead of spending billions upon billions of years, all of eternity in an eternal torment in hell, I now want you to spend billions and billions of years with me in perfection. I mean, it would have to be something crazy like that, right? To have this type of reaction to it? It would have to be something so cataclysmically world-changing that we could look at our lives and say, a hundred years a hundred years to lay aside our character and focus on God is nothing. You know, I think so, so often we can walk through our days and we say we're Christians, we say hey, I have a relationship with Jesus, and yet we have no grasp of eternity. I heard a guy say once, if you had a bird, if you had a bird fly, And each day, pick up one grain of sand from a beach on the earth and drop it in a pile. And the next day, he would go and pick up one grain of sand from a beach and he would drop it in a pile. That one day, he would accumulate all of the sand on the beaches and he would have it in one pile, and that would be the first day of eternity. That would just be the first day when we see our first sunset. We live like there's no eternity in mind. We live like this would seem radical, radical to, to sacrifice 40 or 50 or 60 or 100 years, not focusing on ourselves but focusing on the Lord, when in reality this is day one of kindergarten. I mean, our life is like day one of kindergarten. And it's like a kindergartner saying, yeah, I understand, I got all that stuff I got to do, but you know, really though, I mean, when it all comes down to it, right, I should just live for today. There's eternity on the horizon. In the light of a God who sacrificially saved an eternal soul, a life devoted to his glory does not seem radical, it seems rational. When we do the math in our minds, when we do the mathematics in our head and say 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, eternity It doesn't seem radical at all. It seems rational to say that, yeah, I would devote the next 20, 30, 50, 60, 100 years to his glory instead of mine. He changed our eternal destiny. I say this because this entire conversation so far has been about finding our door to purpose, right? Finding our plan. And and, and this is not negating anything i've said so far this is part of the application of everything that i've said in the last four weeks and we look for our door to purpose and i say brother and sister there is no greater purpose than we could set our eyes then to say that i care not for the things of my own life of my own heart that my life my life is for his glory and I will go wherever that takes me and I will follow wherever that leads me and I will do whatever God asks me and I will accomplish whatever is he has. I will forsake anything that comes from my own nature. I will put aside any pride and any care for myself and instead say that I am willing to do anything for the Lord. And I think I've used this analogy before, but it blew my mind when I heard it. They said Mother Teresa of Calcutta, that when she was working in one of her, one of her houses, bathing people whose flesh was rotting off their bodies. They had sent a reporter to come in and do a story on her, and as he watched her bathe this person, he was plugging his nose and, and, and almost vomiting, smelling this. And that Mother Teresa did it with a smile on his face, and he says, you know what? I wouldn't do what you do for a million dollars. And Mother Teresa said, neither would I. <laughs> I wouldn't do it for a million dollars either, but for Jesus... No, for Jesus, I'd do it. You see, she understood this, that her her life was a means to bring him glory, that her life wasn't about glorifying herself and making a big name. Do you think that someone like her ever cared that people remember her name? No. Her goal was that by the end of her life that Jesus would be made more glorious, that more people would talk to each other and say, man, have you seen those Christians? They must serve a great God. How could they possibly, how could they possibly live that way? If we begin to, to put this as our purpose, what if we set our purpose, our door to purpose, the thing that we actually want to finish, the door, the last door that we finally want to open in our life, isn't more things and it isn't more honor and it isn't more time for fun and recreation. But the last door that we wish to open is a door saying that my life brought him Glory. If we begin to live that way with our eyes focused on that door, man, there would be no other worries in our life. This message is titled, Doors to Freedom. And it seems like it's a door to slavery, doesn't it? But it's true freedom. It's true freedom when we realize the fact that our lives, when we live it for ourselves, then it is bondage and slavery to this world system. When we finally realize that our lives are actually meant to bring someone else glory, we finally realize we have true purpose on this earth. Don't you ever wonder, how on earth, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? And you have that, and we keep thinking it's about us. It's not. That our purpose is to create glory for God. And at the end of our life, people would look at us, and and we would reflect their eyes towards God. And they would see how glorious he is. Are you a follower of Jesus? And this is where it really comes down to it. Don't just answer the question, yes. So I wrote this message, and I sat at my desk. I cried over this verse, asking myself, am I, am I actually a follower of Jesus? Because I want to say yes, but then I'm struck by Jesus' words. Calling to the crowd to join his disciples, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross and follow me. You try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you... Have you turned from your selfish ways and actually said that I, my, my goal isn't just to make a bigger bank account or isn't just to make a better name for myself? Have we taken up the cross on our shoulder and said that we're willing to be made fun of for Christ? We're willing to be poked fun at for Christ? We're willing to, to, for people to, to call us names or to maybe lose a job for Christ? Are we holding on to our life tightly in our hands, saying that I want control and that I want direction and that I want to accomplish these things? Or have we released our life? And said, Jesus, the whole point of it anyway is your glory. It's your glory. What truly matters is the world growing strangely dim, like Paul talked about. Are you beginning to see the world around you and realize that everything else is garbage in comparison? to Christ. Are we really dedicated? Is our purpose really his glory? My life is for his glory. You know, when, um, when Jesus left and he went back to heaven, the new church began to meet and they, they got together and they would celebrate and they'd celebrate on Sundays. And what's interesting is in the culture that they were in, that wasn't the Sabbath. That was the first day of the week. And Pliny the Younger, a historian writing about them, talked about these, these crazy Christians because they would celebrate on Sunday, the first day of the week. And what they would do is they would get up before the sun rose and they would get together and they would sing praises to Jesus before they went to work. Let me make it really practical. If today we said, next week, we're no longer meeting on Sunday, we're meeting on Monday mornings at 5 a.m., how many people would be here? Are we actually dedicated? People who saw Jesus, that's when they met. They would get together. Our, our expression would be Monday morning at 5 a.m. And we get here and we praise Jesus and we celebrate him and then we go off to work our day. Do we have the dedication to follow that? What if we were one of the 12 disciples? Would the gospel have ever made it this far? I mean, what if it was, what if it was us? What if... 12 of us? What if you were one of the 12 disciples and if you didn't spread the gospel, it would have died? Would it ever have made it out of Jerusalem? Would it ever have made it out of the Middle East? There's a question about what we're actually living for. Are we actually living for his glory? Are we still actually just holding on to our life? And just appeasing our sense of some sort of need for God when we show up on a Sunday morning? just brushing over the fact that we sometimes think about the fact that someday our lives will be over and we'll die, and we hope, maybe, Jesus is good enough to save us. Jesus says, you want to be my follower, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. You have to let go of your life. Some of you need a new perspective. I certainly did. This message hit me harder than any message I've preached in years as I sat and I considered myself and said, am I really a follower of Jesus? Can I say that confidently? And I can tell you that I realize there's things that I need to change about myself. There's things that even I look and I say, there's, man, there's things that I'm still holding on to. There's selfish ways that are still present in my heart. I'm not finished yet. Certainly not finished yet. If you're a brand new Christian, if you're someone who isn't a Christian here, please, let me tell you that there's there's grace. If you say, listen, Cameron, I'm not there yet. There are people who did the exact same thing when Jesus said, and they walked away. And I wholeheartedly believe that the message came around and it struck them again. There's people who probably walked away Jesus with Jesus at this moment who came back and followed him later. If you say, this is way too hard for me to understand, way too hard for me to comprehend, I encourage you not to run away from him, but to press in deeper, to come back and hear his word again. But there's no way that I could finish a series about our life direction and not actually hammer home on the truth of why we're really, really here, what our purpose really, really is as the church. Our lives are for his glory. Our church is for his glory. The purpose why we meet, the reason we get together is not because I'm special, not because music's special, not because we're special. It's because God is. The purpose why we do all the things that we do is to continually say, Jesus, you are so good that we want to make sure that that your glory gets greater, that your fame gets better, that people love you more, that people out in this world who've never met you, they see us and they see a reflection of how glorious you are. Every aspect of our lives is a means by which we can glorify God i want to close by ending uh, just with this verse. Paul wrote this to uh, the church of Colossae. And I think that it's a great closing prayer for us. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Hear that, the realities of heaven. Get that perspective that it's really there where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. God, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for the fact that you are such a good God. I pray, Lord, that as we understand this, it wouldn't bring about a feeling of of isolation. It wouldn't bring about a feeling of thinking that, oh, we serve a selfish God, but we would get into perspective and realize that you truly are the greatest thing that's ever happened in our lives, that our lives are meant to be a way to glorify you in everything that we do. Lord, from our, our smallest details to how we treat our family to the business deals we do to everything else, that my life is for his glory pray, God, that we would grasp a hold of it because it would change our lives. It would change our church. It would change our city and our world. We just thank you so much, God, for being such a great God. That truly is the, the point of today. And I ask, God, that you would, um, you would go with us and you would apply this word to our hearts and you would apply our hearts to this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.